Welcome to the Madrigos Midwest podcast, Mental Health Matters, where we discuss mental health matters because we know that mental health matters. Welcome to the next episode of the Madrigos Midwest podcast, Mental Health Matters. For this episode, we have the privilege of welcoming back, albeit virtually, Rabbi Yossi Ben Susan, who came last year to grace us with his presence in person. And this year we are welcoming him via Zoom and via this, this podcast. Rabbi Ben Susan is a certified alcohol and substance abuse counselor and is a Rebbe the Mashkiach Ruchani at Yeshiva High School of Cleveland. He also maintains a private practice where he counsels parents and struggling teens. And he lectures all over the United States and Israel and even as a featured column in Mishpacha magazine entitled Risk Factor. Enjoy this episode with Rabbi Ben Susan. Thank you, Rabbi Ben Susan, for joining us and giving this opportunity once again to have a conversation. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's been a little bit. Yeah, it's been a while. And we, uh, we were so enthralled by your presentations last year and got so much positive feedback that uh, Zoom made it a little easier for us to bring you back sooner. And so I was able to, uh, was one of the last things I was able to do before. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. So now that you will have to get you back in person also, but in the meantime, uh, let's get you, let's get you over the, over the phone, we'll call it. So first of all, can you just uh, tell us a little bit I mean, obviously, I, I spoke a little in the intro, you know, with your positions, but what exactly are your roles as a Rebbe, as a therapist? Um, you know, what so, are you doing today? So interestingly enough, so I'm not, a, I'm not actually a clinician in that sense. I'm not a therapist. Um, I, uh, I like to face things for a number of reasons that I guess we'll probably definitely be hitting upon. But I, I, I like to hit things mainly as a rabbi, mainly as uh, I think they call it the um, rabbinic counseling or clergy, uh, a clergy counseling, I believe they call it. Um, so I counsel, I definitely counsel and, and I meet uh, what we could call, I guess, private clients, or if it's clergy, then um, I don't know, shepherd, I don't know, I don't know what the, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely like to, uh, to do it that way for a number of reasons. Um, but uh, in more of a technical sense, um, my day is split very paradoxically, um, which is probably one of the hardest parts of what I do in general. But it is split very paradoxically between being a mashkeach in a boys' high school, uh, Yeshiva High School of Cleveland, uh, where my boys are um, were set up as definitely not the mainstream, um, which I always view as like a uh, a positive. <laughs> uh, we're definitely not the mainstream, but um, but no, you know, no heavy issues by way of alcohol or substance abuse or um, you know severe disorders of any kind or um, you know, anything like that, you know, the odd, the odd one out, or I hate to call it the odd one out, but you know, a few of my guys definitely going to have certain, uh, are definitely going to have been tied with the labels of a learning disability and the like, which, um, you know, if we do our jobs right, we either prove it wrong or prove that it can be worked with. Um, so we, uh, so that's, you know, that's in my high school. Um, I'm in a tremendous paradoxically contrast, paradoxical contrast. We have, um, I have my counseling that I do, which is um, with severe drug abuse and uh, uh, addictions and the like. And it's funny, my Rebbe, um, my Rebbe Ray Friedlander, Emma, 
Berkowitz always told me that no matter how deep into that you're going to get, which is beautiful and great, and probably what I'm mainly known for, uh, no matter how deep into that you're going to get, you always have to have your rabbinic side, and you always have to have your uh, learning and and the the Torah part and giving share and stuff like that. So, and I thank them every single day in my mind because. Um, really who I am, I believe if someone asks me, who doesn't know me, asking me what I do, I say I teach in a high school. Um, that, that to me is who I am, what I do. Um, because that's what I do, I do other things also. <laughs> right. Because that right. just does not pay the bills. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, so um, it's definitely paradoxical, definitely a major, major contrast. And we definitely suffer in school because of it. You know, I get probably a good, I would say 40% of applicants that I get to the school are are uh, teenagers that are suffering that do that that Baruch Hashem there are programs in schools for and I am able to but for instance I'm not gonna mention my, my name but there is a school out there that is definitely more for these boys and they uh I was speaking to one of the rabbis there and he said you're our best recruiter because <laughs> you just keep on and and the truth is I'm, I'm happy about that like you know it, it's no obviously you know especially with what else I do it's no knock on them or knock on you know those guys or anything that's just not where my high school is. So I definitely take a hit of a, a massive amount of my name is so tied to that, that when someone hears that I, you know, I'm Mashkiach in a high school, they automatically assume that my boys are like that, but Baruch Hashem, it is not, you know, what we're dealing with. Um, and so there is that tremendous paradox to what I do, but uh, I love it. I love that paradox. I, you know, I love it. Sure. It keeps, keeps, keeps you guessing, keeps getting uh, different sides of the coin. I have to ask you then, how do you do that? How do you have a school, uh, you know, that you can have the best boys in the school? It seems almost like you said, the odd one out that every school, no matter of what caliber, it seems to be a challenge. So how do you, how do you do that? In an yeah, so it's interesting. It's a great question because it's one of the hard, one of the more difficult parts of my day is when I have to contrast being on the phone with actually parents, being on the phone with a parent of a student versus a parent of a client. Um, which not all my, my clients' parents are involved. I'm saying I work with adults also, but you know, when, I, uh, when I'm on the phone with a parent of a student and the mother's like, you know, I think um, you know, he was at a Shalom Zachar and I think he might've had a beer and I'm just a little bit nervous. And it's hard for me not to be like, oh, please. <laughs> this is what we're on the phone about right now. Leave him alone. Like it, it, it does, it's hard for me to, but at the end of the day, you know, they're right. It, they, they are they are right you know where their kids holding and where you know that was that and is a concern I, and I definitely understand it but it is it's hard but the way I like to view it is that I have to and I think anyone who does this I mean you for sure also in Madrigos over there with everything that you guys have coming through you guys definitely also have to do this where I'll go home and my wife will tell me you know oh you know Yitzhak uh, Yitzhak acted out a little bit today in kindergarten or whatever and I'll be like, well, you, know, you probably didn't eat this morning. And she's like, yes, this is serious. You know, they said that, you know, it was more than, than he should have acted out. And I just want to make sure that, you know, he's getting enough sleep. And he's okay. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. And my wife is like, yes, this is your home. I'm like, right. Sorry. Thank you. Right. You know, we always have to do this to some degree or another. You know, an accountant can go home and feel, you know, very inadequate. You know, if he, all of his clients are billionaires and he's coming home to his accounts, you know. It, it, it is, you know, it, it, but that paradox is always, I think, going to be in people's lives, you know, at, at any given time. And the truth is, is that I'm blessed with it because because I have to be cognizant of dealing with my life in that contrast. It actually helps me in so many ways where I think most people won't realize 
their lives are also that contrasting. You know, we're, we don't get to just watch the news. We live it. You know, you're there in real time and, and people experience it as, as if it's happening to them. And their kid will come up to them while they're trying to keep track of how many rockets are falling in Israel as if they can stop those rockets themselves or as if, as if they sitting in Cleveland, Ohio are going to have to run to a bomb shelter at some point. And I'm saying this seriously. I'm really, I'm not trying to poke fun. Obviously, I care about it. I, Israel stole my home. I, I love it. I, I still believe I'm on vacation. I, I chose Cleveland to vacation, which was an odd show. <laughs> I still think I'm just on vacation. I'm going to go back any minute now. And it is, and all my friends and so much of my family and everyone's there. And it is very difficult for me. But while I'm sitting there doing something that I cannot control or have any sort of say in, what's Netanyahu is not calling me to ask me my advice on any of this. And I still have no clue barely what the Iron Dome is, much less how in the world that miracle of a thing works. Right. I have zero say. And my kid will come up to me and be like, Papa, can we? I'm like, just, 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 just very important. Like, no, 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 no. There's a paradox going on over here. You're right. That is superbly important. And it does affect your life. And it does affect your emotions. But where you're effective, where you're needed right now, what you need to take seriously is the fact that you know, her younger brother just colored on her drawing from school. That's the most important thing that you actually, that you as an individual actually have to deal with at that moment. And I understand that in your pocket, there's a thing telling you that the world's coming to an end, but this is actually the most important thing that, that's going on in reality to you. So I think everyone deals with that. I get to be so much, I get, I get this gift from Hashem that I have a cognizance of it, that, that, that I get to see it and know right away, like, oh, wait, they're asking for my attention whatever it is that's going on in my phone and, you know, is not, is not as important to the point that like my wife and like some of my students, like if I leave my, my phone completely unprofessionally on my desk turned up um, unprofessionally for so many reasons, if I'm <laughs> speaking to my wife or my students, it shouldn't even be in the room. Um, but, and also, you know, this is why I started putting people's names in differently into my phone. Sure. Um, also because if I get a text from someone that I'm working with and it's something Everyone can see that now. So the phone, the names are always going to be different. But still, you know, I, uh, uh, you know, a text will come in, and a guy will be like, uh, "Rabbi, someone just said that they're uh, they want to end their lives," and I'm like, "Who's the like at?" No, that's that's the third time today. Don't worry about it. They're they're gonna they're gonna make it out of that one, okay? And not that anyone should ever take that lightly, by the way. But so I, you know, you know, it it does. You lose the sensitivity. You lose, but you can't lose that sensitivity in anything. And if you want to judge me for losing the sensitivity of not taking someone who's saying that they're going to take their life seriously, you're right. You're right. You should judge me for that. But I can just as well equally judge you for saying to your ch child that that's just not important right now, when in reality, in their life, it is the most important thing, and it should be for you also. So I think everyone has that paradox. I'm just gifted with uh, the the need to notice it in every you know in every aspect of it. Yeah, that's that's incredible, and it's incredible for you, and. Uh incredible for quality show because you get making the hashpa multifold in both of these areas and and it's it's very we are very fortunate as well uh in addition to your outlets of mishpacha and meaningful men and all the other places where you're making the hashpa these are uh, the two primary i guess um but but you know i want to you you mentioned this idea of, of control you mentioned this idea of paying attention to the, the moment to the child if we talk about when we, we go back to the substances for, for a minute you know, alcohol, drugs, whatever it may be. Um, I guess the, the, the realm of control, right, seems to be on so many levels in terms of 
the individual's control, being able to drink in a controlled manner, right? Being able to get, gain control back when it's lost and from a parental standpoint as well, right? We could joke about the kindergartner and while that is crucial, right? And, and significant, if one parent, if a parent has a teen in particular, let's say that has gotten into these substances in whatever way they got into it, right? What, if the parent can't control that, because obviously we know as a teen they can't, what's the role of the parent at, at that point in time once the child has already started using? So, you know, I, I'm, I'm a middle, I, I don't know the author's name. So it's, it's weird to quote something you don't know the author's name on, but I know the title of the book. There's a book um, I found, I, I drive quite a fair amount, quite a, quite a lot. And I, um, I'm stuck in a car and my car is old. So I, I have a CD player in it, but no like Bluetooth or anything. And I happen to love old things, all old things I love. I, I don't like change or new stuff or, you know, I will hold on to a phone with cracked amounts of things on it. That's, you know, screen wise. I'm saying. And I'm, I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, my, my students made fun of me all the time. Like you could see, I, I realize we're not on video, but my phone's missing so many buttons and so many things. And my students make fun of me all the time. And so I, so I listen to audiobooks also because I'm dyslexic. And I, I listen to audiobooks. That's why I don't know that. Like I haven't, I don't always see the, the author's name. That's why I'm blinking on an author right now. But the, uh, the book is called The Teenage Brain. Um, and it's so, it was so impactful. I just picked it up. I was bringing, I was on a date with one of my kids and I was, uh, and he wanted to go to the library to pick something up. So we're in the library. And I'm just Francis going through. Jensen, What's that? Francis Jensen. Is that the author? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm on a computer, by the way. It's totally not that that doing while talking to you. It's just that. I, <laughs> it's totally okay. I could have just taken out a second and done that. And I just, this is me and technology. I'm like, wow, that's a miracle. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I, I believe she wrote it and then, or he wrote it and then, but someone else, it's someone else's book and they're like that okay. the ghostwriter but i don't know so um she's a big doctor a very um in a very and i believe she's the head of neurology uh, of neurological studies in university of pennsylvania i believe and it was it's a very intense very interesting very interesting book uh, mainly because they go she goes through just like one little point like that i i and i happen to be listening to it right now you'll always hear me on things quoting a book and it's not because like that book changed my life. It's just because that's happens to be what I'm listening to right then or reading right then. Um, but she like, like the certain things like the term teenager was never around before 1941 when it was half like just, you know, spontaneously came up in an article or something. And, you know, this idea of teenagers weren't really around before that because they were working. Like it, they were sort of part of an adult force in the world. Um, so the first thing that, you know, uh, um, one of the first things she goes into over there about the studies of uh, neurological studies of teenagers is that they're going through a very difficult time. They're going through a really, really hard time. And I venture to say, and I, and this hit me while I was driving and I was like, it's amazing to think about. I would venture to say that if any 40 year old adult, 40 year old man who is otherwise healthy and going through a completely normal and regular life would um, on a metabolic, on, on, on a biological level or on a neurological level have the influx and craziness that the average teenager is, has going on inside of him 
just randomly, which also the average teenager, it's it just, they didn't expect this. They didn't expect this onset, this onslaught of hormones, this whole thing. They, they did not know what was going to happen to them. And it just happened. If you were just driving one day and all of a sudden things started changing and that started happening, all of a sudden, you know, certain other desires and this and that, and all these like confusion and anxiety and all these things would start happening to you, you would, you would quit your job and hide in a room. Like as an adult, we would not be able to process it. We would need so much help, so much help. Right. And, and, and by the way, and it would be considered a disorder. If you went to any psychiatrist as an adult with these symptoms, they'd be like, you, you clearly need to be medicated. Like, this is a lot. Your impulse control has gone off. Just like you were doing fine. And then impulsive impulse control went off the rails, just completely off the rails. You are susceptible to every type of anxiety, depression, and just crazy amounts of things. We would be medicated immediately. Immediately, we would given we would be given such a wide berth of acceptance and and love and and support from everyone around us because we're going through that. Yet the average teenager and and we have this uh, this chosen sort of amnesia of what it was like to be a teenager and how insane it was and and but the truth is it is crazy it is very very difficult so when a kid is turning to drugs and alcohol a kid is turning uh, to any of these things i i like to believe it as and and i i probably wrongfully but to make the point so i'm not saying i fully believe this but i i the point i use the point so so often with parents so that they can understand, you know, when you have a kid who's suffering through drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, it's like what happens when a child, God forbid, gets abused. You know, let's let's take, I don't know how wide out of things we're allowed to get over here, but let's take sexual abuse or just anything, you know, I don't have to go through specific situations, but a child gets abused. Studies have shown and have proven this without a doubt that it is not the trauma of the abuse that actually leads to all these horrible things happening in the kid's life. And then much later on, you know, and the further it gets without it being taken care of, the worse it gets. You know, we know adults that act out are acting out on a much larger scale than the average teenager. There's no experimentation over there. There's a lifestyle change that happens and they dedicate themselves to it and they change their identities because of it, so on and so forth. So what we need to understand is that wasn't that situation that happened and one of the proofs given to this is that we cannot even really uh, um, quantify trauma in any way because the way trauma happens in one person through the same exact situation will not happen in another person. And I personally believe from this, the, the research that I've done, I personally believe that I went from not being a therapist to really sounding like one right now, but <laughs> the, 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 from the research that I've done, I really believe that what happens over here is not the action that happened. That was traumatic. There's no question. But it was the ability to open up and get help immediately that will result in a functioning, healthy teenager, adult, and, and beyond, and a non-healthy teenager, adult, and beyond. That ability to open up is really... So you have parents who are so anti-alcohol and vaping. Vaping's a big one. And uh, marijuana and all these things. And that's great. We have to obviously teach our children the dangers that are out there. I'm not saying that, but the focus is on that as opposed to the focus being on communication. 
if the focus can switch to being on communication, then when these things start, when these things happen, when they, when they did try alcohol, when they did try marijuana, when they did try, which nowadays it is so readily available, it is so, the odds on a teenager trying it are so astronomical that there are no odds, right? They don't have the studies anymore because it literally changes every week. It's like the last one they did was years ago at this point, And it was like 80%. Like it changes every single week. It was so crazy. The amount, okay, it was done for non-Jews, but still it, it doesn't matter. Nowadays, nowadays, you know, back then when everyone used to say, oh, those studies are for non-Jews, you're right. You're right. They weren't growing up in our communities. They weren't growing up. That is true. But the alcohol availability and, and the drinking, the, the marijuana availability, all these things back then were also much less in our communities. So you can translate this any way you want. I don't care. My point is, is that the, the odds on a kid trying alcohol or drugs or any of these things are so astronomically high. It, there's no, that there's no point. We have to tell them, again, we have to have that conversation. But there's no point. There's no point in spending so much time and energy trying to avoid them from doing it. Rather, we have to spend all that time and energy on communication, on opening up lines of communication, on having a safe space that kids feel accepted in. Because what we do is we actually shoot ourselves in the foot with so many of the avoidances that we do. We put this massive thing. You know, I had this father tell me, my son knows. He ever tries a cigarette, I'll break his legs. I'm like, okay, let me explain to you what you just did. Right. Number one, you're a liar. <laughs> no, just like right out the bat. Your kid doesn't know what you're going to do, but the odds are he would rather you like break his legs, right? You're going to take his phone away. You're going to, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do. To him, it's a lot scarier than that anyway. You're a liar. You're not going to break his legs. Number one. Number two, you're a psychopath. That's all your kid heard from that is that when it comes to smoking, I, I can't. And how many times have you definitely, right? You guys over there definitely have heard this a thousand times. If he was dating a girl, I would understand. If he was smoking cigarettes, I would understand. But he's on a video game all day. It's not gonna, really? 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 If he was dating a girl and he was smoking cigarettes and he was out drinking with friends, you would really understand that. You'd be okay then. No, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Then that's why we would be on the phone, right? It would always be something what are all these people lacking is that when they put all this heavy weight onto something, it actually shuts the kid up. It actually causes the child to be more shameful and more embarrassed. And that's really like, for instance, after an abuse, when a little child suffers abuse, one of the main things that keeps them quiet is not fear of punishment, it's shame. They feel so much shame. There is a line that my parents will not love me anymore past. So they feel that shame from that experience and they won't open up about it. The not opening up and the shame is what really leads them towards the alcohol, towards the drug, because they want to feel they want to feel something. Right. And the odds are they feel the world so deeply from that trauma that that they need to stop. They, need, they just want to feel something different for a moment. So mm -hmm. as far as as far as uh, um, you know what a parent can do when they know already that their child has already started dabbling, has already open up major lines of communication with them take your, your kid is going to keep testing you because our kids love us more than we love them. I know that sounds crazy and it goes against every Gamari you've ever heard of, but in reality, it's not that they love us. It's their term of love, right? An actual love based in hav and ahava, we love them. But how, however, in need, in the love of need and the obsession of a person, 
uh, uh, that's more classically used in the world, that love our ch children love us more. What that means is, is that they keep on giving us chances. They keep giving us opportunities. Your child's gonna come home and he's gonna test the waters with something. So I'm just gonna use something that's powered out there, right? So I don't get in trouble. So um, you don't get in trouble. I, I get in trouble. <laughs> but let's say you don't get in trouble. Kid, a kid uh, meets a girl, right? You have a average 14 year old yeshiva boy, let's say, right? You know, it's a lot of people listening to this. It wouldn't be an issue at all, right? That, but let's say you're from that type of a community and, um, and it's an issue. And an average 14 year old uh, meets a girl, right? And they start talking and they start becoming close he's going to show up home and he's going to drop a line. He'll either say his friend started talking to a girl or he'll say, really, you know, I don't understand. What's so wrong about boys talking to girls? Or He's going to open that up. How you respond over there is super important. Is super important. The reason it's super important is you don't have to say the right thing. You just don't say the wrong thing. And the wrong thing is always based in judgment being judgmental of people who are who are who have that or um, negativity shame putting shame onto it is is what right approach it with well what do you think about it right kid comes home and he says really what's so wrong about that you know what it's actually a really good question what do you what do you think would, would be a problem over there and he'd be like well maybe this or maybe this or maybe this and you're like okay you know that's interesting you know I, I can hear that well what do you think about this and you have a conversation about it right no push you have a conversation about it. Guaranteed that kid shows up in a couple of weeks of those conversations, shows up and tells you the whole truth of what's going on. And when a kid is able to unload to his parents like that, you are, you are dealing with a whole different relationship. Like you earn the right now to have a say. You earn the right now to be able to build something, to be able to, to, to squash something or not build something and so on and so forth. So when, when they are currently dealing with it, I think the, the major, major thing to do in a situation like that to open up the lines of communication, show acceptance. When you're in your house, everyone stop judging everybody, right? Stop putting shame onto people, right? And again, parents, and understandable, parents think that by doing this, they're sending a message to their kid that it's bad, right? So, oh, you see that kid down the block? Or, oh, you know, that one? see them smoking? It's the most disgusting, vile, ick, disgusting thing a human being can ever do is smoke a cigarette. They're murdering themselves. When your kid inevitably has a cigarette, his message is not that it is the most disgusting violent. It is that my mother thinks I am the most disgusting vile. Da, da, da. Wow. Right. Wow. So, so insightful. So, so, and it's, it makes so much sense and you're living it. I rudely interrupted you as you were telling us about the date with your kid, which already tells us yeah. so much, which is this idea of starting already from a young age, right? Having oh, dates yeah. with our kids and opening that communication from day one so that they know my parents are people who I go to, not people who I hide from. Right. And uh, you know, I'm not doing a perfect, I'll be honest. I'm not, I'm not raising my kids perfect. It's crazy. <laughs> so I was just at a Shavuot program where I was speaking on Chinuch. I was <laughs> on a panel on Chinuch and a fire alarm went off and we had to leave the hotel. Everyone had to leave the hotel. And my brother was on the same panel as I am. We both looked at each other and we knew immediately that it was my kid and which one. And, and sure enough, it was my kid. And uh, he pulled the fire alarm <laughs> on the other for everyone to leave. And, you know, it's, I'm not saying I'm doing this perfect. I'm, I'm um, not. But I have a certain philosophy. And this is like the one that trumps everything with, oh, two, really, that trumps everything else for me in parenting specifically. Um, but whether I'm dealing with teenagers, whether I'm dealing with kids that aren't even mine, number one, 
calm, calm. You are setting the example for your children for forever. If you want calm kids, react calm to everything. Work on yourself. Work on yourself to the highest degree you possibly can. I've never, I, I've never, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying in Yossi Matushan's experience of life, I've never met a kid who has severe anxiety, as long as it's not born off of an extreme trauma that, that has not had extreme anxiety, that, that when you meet the parents, you're not like, oh, okay, all right, I see this, right? That's number one. My second thing is, my second thing is, is that, that acceptance and open communication that I was, I was discussing, it takes, it, it's so much more important for me than anything, than from kite, than them being religious, than anything, is them being able to tell me anything. Because I'm telling you right now, there's only two options when it comes to a child opening up. They're either opening up to you or to someone else. Those are the only two options. One of them you have control over, hopefully. The other one, you have no idea who it is. I have 14-year-old girls emailing me every single day and their parents don't know. If I was an insane person, that is the scariest sentence I've ever said. You have any idea what I, if, if, if I wanted to, and, and yeah, I'm going to say it, if I wanted to, how I could manipulate that, that, that child. It's scary to me. I don't know who else she reached out to before me or after if I didn't answer properly. That's very scary. Your kids have access. If you're not the one taking them on a date, and I don't care how scary this sounds, if you're not the one taking them on a date, someone else is. Wow. Very powerful. Very, very, very powerful. And uh, hopefully that, that helps parents a little bit to be able to, uh, to work on this issue, which is, uh, like you said at the beginning, it's a symptom, right? It's in large part a symptom to a much deeper problem. And if we can attack the symptom, but if we don't attack the problem at its core, then uh, it's like those, uh, those games at, at the amusement parks where you, where you, you know, hit, hit down one of the heads and the head pops up somewhere else with another exactly. issue. And so we have, to, we have to attack the issue at its core. It's very, very insightful. I know that, uh, that our time is short. If I can, can I, can I bother you for one, one like yeah. one liner? Sure. Or a couple liners? Sure. Uh, just, just because, I, you know, this, this is all to get to the core. But let's say now I've done what I can. Now I have a teenager. I have, a, you know, a kid coming to me, opening up to me saying, you know, mommy, Abba, daddy, right? I, I've been using substances and I already feel like maybe I'm a little bit addicted. So the response, of course, is calm, not being judgmental, but practically, right? Now I've, it's gone beyond that. So what do I do now? What do I tell so, my So this is where like, th there's a lot of factors over here that can come in. Um, I don't know when this started, but I've been hearing this a lot more often lately, where a kid, a teenager will say to me, um, I'm addicted, let's say, just take something lighter. And I don't mean to offend anyone out there. People are going to kill me for that, but you know, something lighter. So the kid's vaping, let's say, right? And, uh, and, and he said, I'm addicted. So now my parents have to buy me vape. Like, that's not what addiction is, right? So... Not how addiction works, buddy. You know, they kids tend to think that addiction means that I need it or I'm going to die without it. Um, that might be what you think while you're an addict, but that is not what addiction means. Um, and and we have to stop believing our kids when they tell us things like that. I'm going to kill myself if I don't have it. 
you have to know your kid. You, you, you got to know, you know, so many, so many different uh, aspects over here. Number one, it also depends where the kid's coming from. If the kid's coming to you for help, you get them help immediately. When a child is ready or an adult, I don't care who it is, is ready for help, we get them help immediately. And by help, you mean a therapist or? Yeah, or yeah, 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 for sure. Now, 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 that, now that was going to be my next thing. Don't nuke the problem. So, you know, a lot of parents do this. A kid comes and he's smoked a joint or whatever it is. And they're like, we have to send him to rehab. He says he's addicted. We have to send him. No, you have to get him evaluated. You, you don't immediately start to send them to, it's just for a million different reasons that I'm not going to go into because people use it wrong. It, it, it's just a bad idea. You get him evaluated first. You send him to a therapist and he gets evaluated first and you can see, and you can see what, the, what he can do. Because the odds are these things are cut, like you said before, so aptly that these things are symptoms. They're, they're, they're not usually the disease. They're the symptom. You can't, you can't cure a symptom. You can only treat it, right? You can, you can cure a disease though. So you send them to a therapist and you try to find the, and the therapist's job there is to hopefully try to find out what's going on underneath. What's going on underneath? What's happening, you know, uh, uh, underneath. Now, depending on you know what so i'm gonna go with again vaping just because it's like uh it, it's just neutral territory so let's say the kids vaping or the kids uh smoking cigarettes or drinking through drinking kids drinking it's not an excess it to him he thinks it's an excess when i you send him to the therapist the therapist is able to uh to evaluate what's going on over here and uh in the meantime you know while the therapist is doing that we start listening to the therapist so while the therapist is working on that we don't come down too hard, right? When a kid opens up to us, we don't immediately start ransacking his room and frisking him every time he comes home because there, as a matter of fact, the other way around, there should be a reward to opening up. The reward isn't let's go drinking, but the reward, the reward usually should be just more time, more attention spent on the kid, not more attention spent. Oh, well, I'm afraid if I'm not spending this time, he's going to go drinking more positive attention. So let's go out to dinner. Let's go out here. Let's go out there just to open up more of what's happening. In his mind, what happens then is, is that the more honest I am, even about embarrassing struggles, more honest I am, the more mommy and daddy are going to know who I am, are going to be interested in me. So when someone is facing it and they're at the, uh, the cusp and the kid opens up and says, I am, you know, now, by the way, that's when you got the information from the, the horse's mouth. When you're just hearing things about people, about things, you could definitely pull the kid in and have a conversation. You are the parent. You could definitely have a conversation with them. There's nothing wrong with that. There's only good about that. But don't be accusatory, right? Don't say you believe them. You know what it called? We, we um, I, I, I got this one. Roberto was Mrs. Spetner, or Robertson Spetner rather. Um, that we don't, we don't accuse until we really know. So you could say what you've heard, and even if you think you know your kid well enough that you know he's lying to you, it doesn't matter. Unless you have specific proof that this is what happened, it doesn't matter. It's more important to build trust than it is to, to be a detective and find out the truth. So you, he says that, you say, okay, I understand. Um, I hear you. I just, again, I want you to know how dangerous it is. Da, 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 da. And I love you. And uh, thank you for talking to me about this, right? Even if the kid lied, he's leaving that conversation different. He's going into the next situation different still. Right. So you accomplished your goal, even if, Ego-wise, you don't get to be the detective and figure out what happened. They caught him. I have so many parents that want to catch their kids. I catch them and then what? So, so they learn to be better liars next time? I was like, what, what's the end, end result there? 
right. as opposed to honesty and open communication will always uh, uh, lead there. If a kid is asking for help, we always get him the help. If a kid uh, uh, shows up and says, I am an addict, I am addicted to, to this thing, we have to start taking proper precautions. A lot of times the kid does not want to go to therapy, does not want to get help. That's when the parents need to check themselves into therapy or help. That's when they need to get, because every case is so different, but something has to be done. So then the parents go for the help. They go to get the advice that they need on how, because since every situation, it, it, every situation is so different that it matters the city you live in, it matters if it's a boy and girl, a one year age difference can matter. Um, so there's so many factors, so many factors that I've seen. You know, a kid's medication that, that was regular medication, the ADD medication or whatever it is, has changed things in, in, in you know, there's so many factors that matter. You, you, if the kid's not willing to go, then the parents need to go. The parents need to go to a professional and, and just find out how to deal in this specific case. And I'm not embarrassed to admit it. You know, uh, um, I have five children. I love all of them. Uh, not equally, but I love all of them. And uh, I love all of them differently, we like to say. And, you know, one of my kids, I, 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 he's still little. He's very, very little. But I was at a loss with. I saw, like, behaviorally, he, he was having such a hard time expressing himself. And, such a, and I, I, w- I was at a loss with. And I, uh, and my wife said, we need to go get advice on what to do over here. And I said, yes, we absolutely do need to go get advice on what to do over here because I'm at a loss. And, right. and I was thinking to myself, it's funny because last week I probably got a phone call about this and I, I, I gave some advice and I just don't know what it is. <laughs> you know, I don't know. When it's yours, it's different. It does, it's, not, it's not a knock on you as a parent. And it's not a, it's, it's, as a matter of fact, it's a, it's a schmack on you. If you went to go get help afterwards, if you went to go get help and want to go, that's a praise on you. For going and, and and taking it seriously and getting the help you need before it got to be too much, before it got to be, you'll pine for the days when your kid was just disrespecting you. If you didn't take care of the disrespect right then, right? You'll be like, oh, I wish he was just girl calling me the worst father in the world. I wish that's what he was saying right now. You know, I wish he was talking to me right now. You know? right. <laughs> right. Such such an important point to close with, with uh, just the strength that it takes. Right? We want our children to be successful and that right whatever it takes for us, right? And, and if we're able to put our own ego aside and put the uh, success of the child first, then we do whatever it takes. That's, that's the strength. And so, so much insight and so much to take away from this podcast. And I just, I know that you are crazy busy and I'm so appreciative for, for this time again. And, you know, hopefully we get you back in exactly. person sometime soon. Uh, but in the meantime, this will, uh, Keep us connected, and, and until the next time, thank you, thank you very much for the time, and keep thank up all you the so much. Thank you guys out there for what you're doing out there in Madragos. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You guys are Have great. A fantastic day. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mental Health Matters. To learn more about Madragos Midwest, visit us at madragosmidwest.org. Please join us next time as we discuss another mental health matter.